0: Welcome, to Holy Coast Church. How are you guys doing? Awesome, awesome, awesome. Just a couple of housekeeping items here before we kind of get going. Um, you know, this is the 4th of July, but I was just talking to some of you guys. It's kind of the midsummer period, I guess. You know, it's been about six weeks since we had school, and school's about six weeks out. So we're right dab in the middle of it. And so one of the things that's important is that time of abiding and vacation. Um, hopefully you guys have had a chance to do vacation I think it's always important in our church body that we also uphold and and uh, our church workers with regard to their vacation period or abiding period. So I hope we're always a church body that allows our church workers and those families that uh, are helping us and ministering to us to continue to be uh, in their abiding during the summer or during the fall, whatever the case may be. It's important. You know, Jesus, um, as he ministered during those days, he was also... Uh, he got tired. He was a a man. He did get tired. And so many times as we've read in the text uh, earlier this year, he would get away from the crowds and he would abide a little bit. So it's always good to do a little bit of abiding and it's always good to come back together as Oikas and our family. Uh, The second thing I was going to talk about was uh, yesterday was the 4th of July. And so how many people went to a parade or had something at their house or a swim party or had a celebration. Quite a few people watched. The, we had a big downtown parade here, and uh, it was really cool. So, it's awesome that uh, we live in a country where we have the freedom not only to worship but to express our views. So, um, I think that's just awesome and good to see a lot of people participating in that. Uh, the last thing I had was is when Derong is with us today. When he's sitting in the back, he's going to be joining some of our our ministry team, Pastor Lytle. And the team will be talking to you a little bit more about Wynn and his ministry amongst us. So welcome, Wynn, to Oikos Church. Um, so, you know, the 4th of July is very important. It's independence. I think one of the things that's really important outside of just independence and the freedoms that we have is also just that day when the Lord will come and he, we will be dependent on him. We will be independent from the devil, the uh, sin that we have, um, and so not only did we really celebrate Independence Day here yesterday as a country, 239 years of independence, but we also know as Christians that we have through salvation we have that time that we will become dependent on Christ, but independent from Satan and the devil and those and uh, his influence amongst us on that final day. So we're also. Uh, thinking about that as Christian believers. Um, before we get in our text today, um, one of the things that we're going to see in our text, we're going to be talking about three different people uh, in our text today. We're going to be in Acts 16, 11 through 34. And uh, we're going to be talking about three different people uh, in the short time that we are going through that text. But um, one of the things that God does us in speaking through this text and just kind of bringing it home is, um, he speaks to us, and God uses different means to bring people to salvation. And so, I was recently reading an article uh, not too long ago in our church body, and it was talking about one of our African missionaries who had been um, in mission uh, on the continent of Africa, and uh, they had two worship services, and he was ministering to a lady. Uh, who was very devoted. They had two worship services. They had one on Wednesdays at uh, at 7 o'clock in the evening, and they had another one at 10 o'clock. And uh, the unusual thing about this lady as he was ministering him is she would take her dog to the church service. So, you know, we don't normally take our dogs, although I have a dog. Sometimes I'd like to bring him. I'm sure you guys have got pets you'd probably like to bring, but we don't do that normally here. And so, so she would bring this uh, dog with her, and, um, and as she was worshiping, and then at the end of the worship, as we often have here at Oikos, the, um, the pastor will call us up for prayer, a time for prayer if you need prayer. And so as the service ended, um, this lady would go up, and she would look for prayer uh, with the minister or those who were praying over her. And the dog would accompany her to this particular prayer, to the service. So, unfortunately, even though this woman was a Christian, she was married to a really not a very nice gentleman. He was not a Christian. He was abusive. He would beat her badly. Um, It was really a tough situation. And and so he wouldn't go to worship with her. In fact, he was so abusive uh, one time, uh, it ended, ended up being her death. He had become so abusive to her. And so... So, after she, was, after she had passed away and, and went to go meet the Lord, um, the man was left with the dog, and what he noticed over several months was, is on Wednesdays and Sundays, so there was a bell that would alarm, you know, where the church was, he would notice over the course of about two months that the dog would get up at those times on Wednesdays, and the dog would be gone for a couple hours a day during, those, during the church service, and he was... Kind of thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. And he started, you know, just wondering, you know, where's the dog going? He's just leaving and he's coming back to the house after a couple of hours. So he was uh, obviously curious. And so what he did was is he followed the dog and lo and behold, he went inside the church and what he did was is he stayed in the back of the church. You know, he'd never been in a church before, you know, sitting in the back pew, but observing the, observing the dog. The dog was sitting on the outside of the aisle where the lady used to sit. And then when there was a time of prayer at the service, this dog was still, he, dog. You know, dogs recognize a lot of people. The dog would go up there with some other people that were present in that congregation and then would come home. So what happened was after attending services there, he not only was watching the dog, but he also had, had a chance to listen to the gospel of Christ as it was being ministered to him. And, and he allowed his heart to be opened uh, to the Holy Spirit. And the miraculous thing about this story that was is this gentleman became uh, a child of God through a dog, right? right? And a dog, right? I mean, he followed this dog and, so we don't normally come to know Christ through, through the ministry of a dog, but in this case, this gentleman did, and he became very active in the church. So it's amazing how God uses us, um, not only in our workplaces, but schools, um, uh, to come alongside people uh, who may not know Jesus. So uh, I thought it was a really cool story to share with you. And so um, anyway, so we're gonna we're gonna get into Acts sixteen eleven through thirty four. If you have your pew, there's a, there's some Bibles here amongst you, or if you want to look online, you have an opportunity to look online. Um, and then those for of you who are worshiping with us online, uh, we are in uh, Acts sixteen chapter sixteen verses eleven through thirty four. So last week, uh, Brother Dave talked to us a little bit about what was going on with Paul, and you know God was talking to Paul too. So the Holy Spirit was talking to Paul uh, in the text that Dave shared with us last week. Uh, initially, Paul wanted to go to the east, and the Holy Spirit said, "You know, Paul, you're not going to the east." Then Paul says, "Well, I'll go north." And about the time Paul decides he wants to go to the north, he can't go to the north. So he goes, "Well, I'll go to the south." And the Holy Spirit, again, God coming alongside us and talking to us, right, if we allow it, saying, "You're not going to go to the south either." So what is there left? OK uh, can't go north, I can't go south, can't go east. So where do I got to go? I got to go west. So, so that's where we pick up our text for the day. Um, and I am in uh, no, uh, verse 11, and so uh, we'll start there. So again, Paul closed off and gets him out to a place where he needs to be to minister to people. So uh, starting in verse 11, from trials we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothras, and the next day on to Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of the district of Macedonia, and we stayed there for several days. Then on the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to some women who had gathered there. Let's stop here for a second. So here we are, Here's Paul. So here's the ministry team. The missionary team is Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. And we remember from Dave's discussion last week that Luke is the one who, who uh, wrote Acts. So we have these four missionaries uh, moving toward the city of Philippi. And so one of the things that Paul really wanted to do when he was in ministry is he wanted to initially go to a synagogue. Uh, if there was a synagogue in this place. And so when you look at chat on number 13, so the first thing you want to do is go to a synagogue, if there's a synagogue. If there wasn't a synagogue, then he wanted to go to a place where there could be believers. So in this time, uh, if there wasn't 10, so what was going on? This is a Roman colony. There's only, you needed at least 10 Jewish men to set up a synagogue. And the reason was you had to have 10 men to support a rabbi in that area. Well, there wasn't any. There wasn't ten Jewish men in that area, so so Paul takes the next uh, the next avenue, and he goes out to a river, a river. He goes out about a mile outside the city of Philippi, and he runs across a bunch of women who are are in the word, and so then he starts sitting there and he starts preaching to them. So anyway, so here we are in Philippi, and you know Philippi actually exists. So. Pastor Lytle would really be disappointed in me not being up here and giving you guys a little bit of a history lesson. He would be extremely disappointed. So Philippi actually does exist. If you look at this map that's on on the top, you'll see that Philippi is at the very uh, top portion of the Aegean Sea. So remember, he couldn't go east, he couldn't go south, he couldn't go north, but he went to Philippi. And so Philippi is in where we would call modern-day Greece today uh, in the northern part. And so, um, so it did exist. That's where he was. He made several different journeys uh, into that particular area. And it had become, as you looked at verse 12, the reason it had become a Roman colony, again, uh, if you go to the next slide guys, you'll see some ruins that are in existence right now in Philippi. So the reason it was a Roman colony, and there wasn't any Jewish people there was, was there was a couple of big battles there. Uh, uh, the Octavian and, and uh, Mark Anthony had defeated Brutus, who had assassinated Julius Caesar in 44 BC. They had a big battle outside of Philippi in 42 BC, where the conspirators of Julius Caesar were defeated. And so what happened a lot of the time is those soldiers that were defeated would stay in that particular area, kind of, hey, I'm, you know, drop my uniform and run, type deal. So it was a heavy Roman colony, not very many Jewish uh, people in that particular area. So it was a place, it did exist, it was a large uh, city within the Roman uh, Empire. So, um, so then we go to uh, verse 14, and Paul uh, is sitting there amongst the women and he's giving a, pre- and he's preaching, and verse 14 says, "'One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, "'a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, "'who was a worshipper of God, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and her members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded them. So we'll stop a little bit there. Uh, so here we go. So before, on some of Paul's other missions, he had mostly been preaching in the synagogue with his, uh, men. Uh, as they met the women along the river, this is really his first encounter with Lydia, and so uh, some things that we know about Lydia, and this is really the only time we talk a little, talk a little bit about Lydia in this particular chapter, was she was a dealer in purple cloth. So purple cloth was, and some of you guys are wearing purple here today. Purple cloth was a really, a really hard thing to find. Um, it wasn't well known. Uh, in many instances, purple cloth was as uh, valuable as silver coinage, uh, that's how valuable it was. Purple cloth generally uh, was worn by people in royalty during that time, kings, queens, the Roman court, that sort of thing. It wasn't very far, hard, to, it wasn't uh, very easy to find. So when you were wearing purple, it provided you a little bit of status uh, from, a, from within the area. We also know by reading this in this particular, uh, in these two verses, that Lydia was also uh, fairly well to do, maybe because she was uh, in the purple cloth. And then she was also had a pretty large house. So she invited, she had that, that gift of hospitality like many of you do here. And she invited in their house. And so not only was the household just her, but she also had, she may have had you know cousins and brothers and sisters there, slaves, um, that sort of thing. So that's the entire household uh, in that particular time. Here's another thing I think is a little bit interesting about baptism during that day. We talk about baptism, and we do a lot of baptism here at Oikos and within our church body. Generally, we do one baptism, maybe two. But in the ancient times, it wasn't, unho- it wasn't, uh, it wasn't really uh, abnormal to, to uh, baptize the entire household. So if you were a head of a household, not only, and you decided to get ba- baptized, it wasn't just you. It was also those... Who were in your household? So the whole group would get baptized and, and uh, come along and get to know Jesus. So um, so she so this is the first instance uh, in our reading of Acts, and we've been reading it for a long time. This is the first instance in Acts where a woman is actually baptized. Okay, uh, and we don't really hear much about Lydia beyond that, outside that she became uh, she got to know God through several different things. One. She got to listen to Paul preach at the riverside and on on from there. Number two, her and her household was baptized, and the Holy Spirit filled her heart. And so what we see here in Lydia is we see a transformation. You know, we talk about transformation at Oikos Church. We talk about lives being transformed. Here in this particular part of the Bible verses, we see a life being transformed in the person of Lydia. And we don't know what she does later on. She probably becomes a leader in the church body. We don't know. We don't. We we really don't know what's what she does afterwards. So, um, so here is the Lord talking to Lydia through the gospel, through uh, the word, through the sacrament of holy baptism, and so she received it. And so, sometimes I wonder: Do we listen to what God is telling us? You know, a lot of time God is talking to each one of us, but do we listen to what God is saying? Or do we just say, well, God, yeah, that's great. I'm gonna go out and drink and get drunk and I don't care what you, know, what you tell me and tell me that's not right. Or you know, I'm, I'm living in a relationship that isn't, that isn't right. So, um, so, so I think in this particular instance, what they're really telling us is Lydia uh, being baptized getting to know the Lord through the gospel and the Holy Spirit and getting to know uh, the Lord that way and then going forth from there and doing what the Lord wants us to. I think a lot of times we do what we want to do versus the Lord. Has that ever happened to you guys? you want to do what you want to do and say, "Ah, Lord, forget it. I'm going to go do my own thing. So, yeah. So, anyway, so sometimes, you know, God does speak to us and we just need to listen. Uh, sometimes he tugs at us like he does with Paul, right? Don't go north, don't go south. You got to go west. God's talking to Paul. He wanted Paul to be in Philippi. He wanted Lydia to be a church leader, and so he had her baptized. So sometimes we just have to listen to what God is telling us uh, uh, at that particular time. Okay, so uh, I am in verse uh, 16, and the whole scene changes here a little bit. And uh, I'll, I'll go through this. Uh, once we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future, sharing a great deal of money for owners by fortune-telling. The girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these, men's, these men are the servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. And so she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled then he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. Notice how he says, I come out in the name of Jesus Christ. Not in the name of Paul, not in the name of Timothy, not in the name of Luke, but in the name of Jesus Christ. And At that very minute, this whole, that spirit was driven out of her body. When the owners of the slave girl realized that the hopes of their making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace. Often in those days, the marketplace was a place for people not only to buy goods but also to hang out and listen to what was going on. They get the news there. They brought them before the magistrates and said, "These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice." The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. Uh, This is not one of the first times that Paul got beat for his convictions. Paul, we learned later that um, Paul was beaten eight times. He was uh, slashed um, by the Jews five times, and he was flogged by the Romans three times at least. So here is an instance, again, where God, by his means, through persecution of Paul and Silas, is moving them to be in ministry amongst us. Um, so after they were severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their, their feet in the stocks. Now, you know this is this is a pretty tough day for these guys. They they, you know, they're beaten. You know, I don't know what their back looks like. It's probably pretty horrible. Um, no telling what else is going on. They're taken to a jail, and the jailer—he uh, didn't care about those guys. Eh, yeah, whatever. So he throws them in a hole, uh, a deep, dark hole. So we know from a little bit that they did—they were dropped into a hole for like kind of like solitary confinement. And so when you're In this particular instance, these guys are dropped down very, very, very deep into a hole. It's black. There's no bathroom down there. So you can just imagine, not a good place to be. So they're down in a hole. They're hurting. It's probably cold. That part of the region can be cold. We don't know what time of the year this was, per se. But it can be very cold there. So they're down in a deep hole. It's dark. You can't see anything. There's no bathroom. It's foul. It doesn't smell good. And then on top of that, they're put into stocks. So a stock in that day was something that go around your feet. And what it did was, is it was there to spread your feet as far as apart as possible. So you can just imagine the anguish these guys were in as they were sitting in this hole. Uh, you know, pretty uncomfortable. That stu- if you're sitting like that for a long time, you can start cramping and create a lot of pain that way. And so the purpose is for, not, for them not to be able to move around. So... You know, not, not a good situation, uh, a very dark situation. And so we also often find ourselves really having a bad day. How many times have you or your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend or your mom and dad have come home and said, hey, I've had a bad day? A little bit? Yeah, I don't know. Many of us think we've had a bad day. I would say these guys are probably not having such a great day. So, um, yeah. So you know, but we're able as Christians we're able to overcome a lot of those bad days, depending on how we we look at it by the by prayer and through the Holy Spirit. We're over. We're able to overcome bad days uh, in our in our in our world. So again, total persecution of, of Paul and Silas during that time, um, and so they handle persecution very differently than maybe we do around that bad day. And so we'll continue to read through the text. Um, a little bit of an example of a bad day, I guess, for me and Sylvia was, some of you guys probably knew, back in December, a drunk driver ran into our house and smashed up our front, front area. And so it was kind of interesting. Uh, Sylvia had a chance to be on the morning TV that morning. Uh, unbeknownst to us, and, um, you know, they said, hey, you know, are you mad at this guy, are you, you know, and I think our response during that time was, no, you know, everything's okay, we're safe, we're okay, we're, we're not hurt, could have been worse, car could have exploded, you know, could have been much worse, so was it a bad day? Eh, not really, you know, was it inconvenient? Yeah, because the guy ran over all my Christmas decorations. I had to go out and re- re- replace my... T- but, you know, not really a bad day, per se. Could have been. Could have been a lot worse. But I think as Christians, we... Uh, as we pray and we let the Holy Spirit uh, be witnesses, I think one of the things that we found that day is we had a lot of people coming to us to make sure we were okay. I think it was an opportunity for us to witness to them that... You know, as tough as it is, you know, we got a big hole in our house, it could have been a lot worse, right? And we still have each other, we still have our Lord, and uh, he protects us from all harm and danger. Um, Okay, so here we are, we have Paul and Silas, they're down in a hole. Things aren't looking too good for those guys. And so uh, we pick it back up at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Just think about that and what I was just saying. They're they're in one of the worst places that you can be. And what's what's going on? These guys are singing. They're in pain, but they are singing a very loud song, and they're also praying, and the prisoners aren't doing anything. They're not trying to hackle them down. They're not calling them down. You think, oh, we're going to call them down. But they're just sitting there listening to them. It's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing, right? I mean, you uh we, we sing here. We I think we should always sing with a lot of gusto when we're in church. Whether you're whether you're a good singer uh like Jason and Ashley or not such a good singer like myself, uh we should always sing praises to God uh when we have a chance. And so so these guys are singing along, and uh, you know. <laughs> even though they probably can't see each other, as they're saying. And then we see in verse 26, suddenly there's an earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once, the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. Now, you would have thought with a, an earthquake of that magnitude that, you know, they're in a hole and they would have been covered up. But what happened, what it did was, is that, you know, And what it did is it made the jailer wake up. So the jailer woke up, and the prison doors were open. The jailer drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. So here we have Paul and Silas. Things aren't going so good, but they're singing. Then there's a huge earthquake around uh, late in the evening. And Now those stocks that I talked about a little bit earlier, and the doors are open, and... All the prisoners are ready to go uh, if, they, if, they, if they can go. And so this also woke up the jailer. And what do you see in verse 27? One of the things, uh, if you were a jailer in those times, the worst thing that ever could have happened to you would have been if prisoners would have escaped on you at that time. And that, in those days, it, really what that meant was you needed to immediately kill yourself because they were gonna do it anyway. Uh, the authorities would have killed you anyway. So, so he's, you know, here's the jailer. He doesn't care about Paul and Silas. You know, they're still down in the hole. And, and he's written ready to kill himself. You know, it's kind of a desperate, you know, definitely, definitely a bad day, More, probably worse than a bad day at that particular point. So something pretty amazing happens at that particular time. And so in verse 28, Paul shouts out, to the whole group. He says, don't harm yourself. We're still all here. We haven't left. Yeah, our our stocks are off, doors are open, but we're all here, okay? Pretty amazing that that they didn't leave at that particular time. And then the jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Now think about this for a second. In the few verses before that, we talked about how dark it was, how the jailer didn't really care about Paul and Silas, how kind of dark and eerie that was, but look at verse 29 for a second. Look at the transformation that takes place in that verse. Specifically, the jailer turns and turns on the lights. I didn't really figure that. I, I had read this verse many, many times, but in preparing this text and then studying for this text, I didn't really understand what, what was going on. But let's see what was going on there is we have a very dark situation where everybody's in prison, the jailer doesn't care what's going on, he doesn't know God, he doesn't know Jesus, and so now he is getting ready to kill himself. Paul says, stop, and he says, and then the jailer turns on the lights. So we go from, immediately from a a sense of darkness and foreboding to light, just like the light of Christ, right? I mean, the light of Christ shines through us through the gospel, through the word, through the sacraments, and so, you know, Paul's saying, don't harm yourself. Uh, we're still here. And so even though, so they were still there to witness to him. They were here, there to witness to him to all the bad things, but they weren't abandoning him, just like God. God doesn't abandon us, even when we're low, when, even when we're in the holes and depths of whatever it might be, whether that's, gee, I didn't get the promotion at work or, um, I made a C on my paper and I should have made an A. You know, I'm really bummed out about it. So, what we see here is some tools of God at work with a jailer. We see, we see God in his presence using perse- the persecution of Paul and Silas to, to minister to the jailer. Also, the earthquake. Okay, it didn't throw any damage to the buildings, but we see through the form of an earthquake, just like I was talking about the dog earlier when I began the message, we see the earthquake um, being a tool of God to minister and come along the jailer. And so, and so God used a lot of different tools. He uses the Holy Spirit to have directed Paul to the place that they needed to be. He took Paul to Lydia, as we talked about a little bit earlier, and ministered to her. Now he uses different ways of persecution. Even though we're Christians, it doesn't mean we're not going to be persecuted. Christians are persecuted every day. And you have to pick up your paper or watch it on the news and you'll see persecution of Christians uh, throughout the world. So, um, So we see a transformation in this jailer saying, and so... We, he, go, he turns on the lights, and then in verse 30, he says, he then brought out and asked, sirs, what's, what, I'm, what I must I do to be saved? Okay, so a total turnaround from what happened, just a few verses differently. I mean, it's literally going from night to day. And Paul and Silas said, you know, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke, spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Remember, they're in a lot of pain. Then immediately, he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Let's just stop there for a second. Um, Here we go, you know, the jailer who thought he was going to kill himself because the prisoners were being freed to... Um, getting, coming alongside, and Paul and Silas ministering to him. And then at that very hour, so, you know, after they get out, I mean, this is, uh, you know, this is really late at night. This is early, in the early hours of the morning. If you guys, uh, some of you guys in college, this would be kind of like an all-nighter, right? I mean, these guys are really up late. So time they leave the jail, they, he goes to his house, he dresses his wounds, and then, and then uh, at that particular time, just like we saw with Lydia, the jailer is baptized and his whole household again. The leader of the household, then the entire household gets baptized. A little bit different than what we see uh, today in most circumstances. So he, so the whole, the whole group is baptized. And so you see the jailer. The other thing we see in verse 34 is that hospitality just like we saw with Lydia uh, back in the early, earlier parts of, of our message, that gift of hospitality, you know, come in and have a meal with me. We do that here at Oikos. You know, the, uh, during our missional communities, the Rogers invite us into their very gracious host. They invite us into a meal. You know, I'm sure they're tired sometimes, but they still are gracious enough to invite us over, and we share a meal as, as uh, the kingdom of God. And so, how do we go from the darkness to the light? Well, we talk about at Oikos, one of the things we talk about is lives being transformed, disciples becoming disciples, and being transformed through the, Lord, the Word, through the Holy Spirit. And so my question to you guys is, do you believe it can happen? Has it happened to you? Do you think it can happen? We've seen three different areas. We, I didn't spend a lot of time on... Uh, the girl who the demon was driven out of. We can presume, though, that she went on to leave a Christian life. We don't know because they don't talk about it. But in the case of Lydia, her, and the jailer, their lives are transformed. Transformed through baptism, through the the, the Holy Spirit, and also through the salvation of Jesus Christ. A few things that I'd like for you to take away a little bit from today's message um, as we finish up here. A few things as as we look through that text uh, today was Paul didn't stay where he was. He went out. He went out. It says, go out, go out, you know, to Philippi. He was trying to go to some other places. The Lord sent him there. We do that here at Oikos, right? We go to Guatemala, we go to East Houston to minister. Uh, we go to various places. We go to Target and we minister to people there. It can be anywhere. It can be your neighbor. But it doesn't, say, it doesn't say sit and don't do anything. It says go out. And then the other thing I think is a little bit different is to try to serve the entire household. So we do serve individuals and, and so forth. But if we have an opportunity to serve the whole household, we should try to do that. Uh, um, So not just coming alongside one person, maybe in the hospital or um, at a concert or whatever, we have an opportunity to speak to God uh, to a variety of people um, when given the chance to do so. Number three is uh, baptize new members as the Holy Spirit brings them into the community of believers. So we do that. That's one of the sacraments of the church. Um, we baptize people. As soon as, if, they, if, if the gospel of the Lord is speaking to them, the Holy Spirit is talking to them, we should as quickly as possible try to baptize uh, those people um, as they come into our midst. And then given the gospel and given the Holy Spirit, given the gift of baptism, one of those sacraments, when you, when you add all those together, we can expect transformed lives as we come to minister amongst uh, those people, whether they're here at Oikos or there's some other place. So, again, those four things. Go out to the lost. Don't stay where you're at. Serve the whole household. Baptize new believers as the Holy Spirit commands us today and expect transformed lives. Transformed lives being one of the principal core areas of Oikos Church that we should be expecting transformed lives as we seek those who don't know Jesus Christ. Um, as we finish, I was, I'm, not a, I'm not an expert in contemporary pop and Christian music, but as we talk about transformation, um, I was watching, and I don't know, if Jason, if you've sung this song. I, yeah, maybe you have. I know you listened, have listened to it, but there's a song by a group, a very popular group called Mercy Me. It's called Shake. And so I'm just going to read some of the verses from it. It talks about being transformed into Christ. And the song starts out with, I just can't believe where my life was at. All that I know is that my heart was broken. I don't ever want to go back, blame it on the transformation. Change down to the core. His love is real and I can't sit still. So I got to shake, shake, shake like you're changed, changed, changed. Brand new looks good, so good on me, so shake until you've been changed. I think that song speaks very strongly to lives being transformed by not only the gospel, but through baptism and also through the Holy Spirit. So, I I hear it every once in a while on the radio, too, by the way. Uh, So, it's it's a pretty cool song. Uh, That video is even more awesome. So, anyway, so, that's that is a little bit about what Paul's doing. He is calling us, and sometimes through some very unnatural or through God's means, just he speaks to us and uses different, different instruments, whether that's an earthquake or a hurricane, or he puts people in a certain place at a certain time. Um, and so uh, as God asks us to be in different places at different times. I hope you'll take the opportunity to come along someone whose life can be transformed, whether that's yourself or someone in your family. Okay? Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the days you've given us today. We are glad in it. We pray for... Our country, Lord, this 4th of July uh, weekend, we pray for those who lead our church bodies, um, that they may continue to strengthen and and, uh, share the faith with all people who may not know you. We also pray for our country, Lord. This is a great country, 239 years uh, in existence. We pray for those who lead us. We pray for the president of our country, the senators from our state, and the other states, the governor of our, our uh, state, uh, the mayor of our city, that they might uphold the laws of the land uh, and they might be God-pleasing, Lord, and that they punish the evildoer uh, when that time is appropriate. We thank you for the message um, for Lydia and the jailer that they got to know you, that their lives were transformed, Lord. Help us also to be like Paul, like Silas, like Timothy, like Luke, that we might be a light in the beacon where sometimes the world is dark. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all of God's people say,